Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian, born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years, and have been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country and now around the world who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Jean. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Hola, como estamos? Man, I've said hola about five times on this show, Jean. Yes, you have. <laughs> I really need to brush up on my Spanish. Today, we chat with Terry Dean Roberts, who retired to Cuenca, Ecuador. Cuenca is the third largest city in Ecuador, and there is no shortage of expats there from the United States as well as Canada. Aside from Spanish, there are over 20 indigenous languages spoken there. Cuenca means basin in Spanish, and the city sits on a plateau surrounded by mountains. Four rivers are found in the Cuenca Basin, and one, the Tomebamba, runs right through the center of town. Now, how special is that? The city is famous for its colorful festivals, distinct food, and breathtaking scenery. Now, because of its history and state of preservation, Cuenca is one of Ecuador's three UNESCO World Heritage Trust sites. Now, before we started doing this podcast, I never even knew what that was. Did you, Jean? No, I did not. Okay, so for our listeners, according to Wikipedia, a World Heritage Site is a landmark or area with legal protection by an international convention administered by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. World Heritage Sites are designated by UNESCO for having cultural, historical, scientific, or other forms of significance. The sites are judged to contain cultural and natural heritage around the world considered to be of outstanding value to humanity. To be selected, a World Heritage Site must be a somehow unique landmark, which is geographically and historically identifiable and has special cultural or physical significance. For example, these sites might be ancient ruins or historical structures, buildings, cities, deserts, forests, islands, lakes, monuments, or wilderness areas. A site might signify a remarkable accomplishment of humanity and serve as evidence of our intellectual history on the planet, or it might even be a place of great natural beauty. As of June 2020, a total of 1,121 sites existed across 167 countries. 
The sites are intended for practical conservation for posterity, which otherwise would be subject to risk from human or animal trespassing, unmonitored, uncontrolled, or unrestricted access, or threat from local administrative negligence. Sites are demarcated by UNESCO as protected zones. Wow, Gil. Thank you for that 200-word definition. Uh, I'm sure everybody needed that. We did. (laughs) (laughs) Let's introduce our guest. Tara was born and raised in Yakima, Washington. He attended the University of Washington in Seattle and earned a BA in communications and advertising. The majority of his career involved management and ownership of two advertising agencies in Los Angeles and Seattle. Thereafter, he became an independent online business consultant and entrepreneur with his own online business. Throughout Terry's career, he worked with some 250 clients from Fortune 500 companies, including Microsoft, Amway, Paramount, NASDAQ, and Marriott. He then worked with and for numerous dot-com startups, solo online entrepreneurs, and nonfiction authors. He moved to Cuenca in 2013, bringing along a client relationship. Tara wrote a book titled Relocating to Ecuador, Eyes Wide Open, in 2015. It was updated in 2019. It is a book containing information Terry wished he had before he moved to Ecuador. He also developed makingalivingyourway.com, an affiliate marketing business model with a blog as a centerpiece. It teaches the advantages of an online business of your own, especially digital information. Terry's interests include fly fishing, all sorts of travel, online business, and in his words, what quantum physics and neuroscience tells us about consciousness and the human experience. Wow, that's fascinating. Very intimidating. So, Terry, (laughs) (laughs) you are intimidating. Okay, Terry, thank you for joining our podcast. We are forever grateful. Can you take us through your journey to Cuenca, starting with how you chose the locale and what factors were involved? Sure. Uh, First, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun, I think. Yes. I was in Seattle. Um, I have a friend who, a business partner and his significant other. And one day, just casually, they dropped uh, a comment that they were going to be going on vacation to Panama for two weeks. And all these visions (laughs) went through my head uh, based on what very little I knew about Panama. And I, I just saw brown hills and military uniforms and chaos and, <laughs> and poverty and oh. and I said Panama why are you going to Panama and they said well we're thinking about retiring in a year or two and we're thinking about retiring in Panama so we're going there to check it out I said really why Panama <laughs> and uh, so they gave their reasons that got me thinking I was in a place where um there was nothing holding me in Seattle for the first time in my life or, or where I lived for the first time in my life. And I was making a living online in various ways. So physically, I could uh, work anywhere. So that combined with my state state in life, uh, that got me thinking that, good Lord, I could do that. 
And it was an intimidating thought. Yeah. And I thought of all the reasons why, you know, what people would say and say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it goes on and on and on. So it got me looking into Panama and, and being an online type, um, I know how to quickly gather information about a topic and drill in and make some opinions. So I did that. And at first, my impressions were quite positive. All of the media conversation, like International Living articles and so forth, all bubbled up to the surface. And I started hearing all of the glorious things about Panama. And I was very, very enthused. I went, well, I kind of see now why they're thinking about it. But as I drilled deeper and deeper, I started running into some message boards and other not so visible sources. And I started hearing some negative things. And they would kind of go, kind of zing through me like, oh my God, what's, I got to know more about that. It turns out that I think almost any place you might move in this world, there are places like that. And I think they tend to be message boards because they're so interactive and there's a lot of people participating. It tends to attract negative minded people who are there to vent. I think some of them are there to preach or some of the, um, some of them are there to get approval of their points of view, right? Reinforcement. Yeah, validation, mm -hmm. yeah. And I started hearing things like, oh, things about the weather and how boring the small towns are. If you want to live in Panama City, it's, it's like all big cities. It's a mess. The traffic's awful. It's hot. It's humid. There's crime and so forth. And so most expats, expats it looked like, lived in the small mountain villages like Boquete, which sounded beautiful. But some of these participants in the message boards lived in those places, and they were complaining. And one of the things that really got my attention was that kind of the, the bloom was off the rose, meaning at one time, expats were really welcome in Panama, and it was kind of a honeymoon period. And that had, that had sort of passed, and now there was evidence that there was some pushback against expats like crime being specifically targeted to expats, you know, neighborhood crime and break-ins and all that sort of thing. And I went, wow, that bothers me. Now, I now think you could find that kind of content probably about anywhere you were considering moving, <laughs> right? But yeah. still, there it is. So it continued, and I, and I started seeing more and more things that bothered me. So I told them, I told my friends who were going there, I said, I've done my due diligence, and I don't think Panama is for me, but I look forward to your feedback on what you find. So they went on their trip, and on the third day, they emailed me, and they said, Panama's not for us either. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I hadn't told them much about my objections, and so, and, but they echoed them, some of them. So I very quickly, I guess just kind of how my mind works, I just shut off that possibility, and I said, okay, I'm kind of sold on the possibility of living overseas somewhere. So if it's not Panama, where is it? So I continued my research. And again, all the popular sources started floating up to the surface. And Ecuador was at the top of the list. And it had been voted the number one place to retire for expats in the world about two or three years running. And most of that came from the magazine International Living. As I drilled deeper, one of the things I learned was that International Living had misled a lot of people who had moved to Cuenca. And there were, there were statements that were often repeated, like, you can live, an expat can live nicely in the manner to which they're accustomed on $600 a month <laughs> in Ecuador. And I learned later, and this, um, I think this goes under the, the uh, category, things I wish I'd known before I moved there, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I moved here, I found out this, this was sort of a, a well-known joke, if you will, or a, a story that 
how many people were misled. And it was because they're basically in the real estate business around the world. Ah. And they run seminars and tours and all kinds of things to uh, turn people on. And, and they've got real estate people, and I guess they get a piece of the action and so forth and so on. So they are want to glorify these places. And I guess that's my best take on why it occurs. But I was hearing an awful lot of good things about it. You mentioned the historical significance, and that really struck me. I had always had kind of a love for the U.S. Southwest and Mexico. I used to have vacations in the western part of Mexico. And then I had this thing, and from movies, I had this kind of this romantic (laughs) notion about pottery and bright colors and ponchos and donkeys and (laughs) leather goods and all of it. And so that that kind of intrigued me right off. And I liked the historical aspect. And as I kept drilling, of course, I was sensitive to the things I'd learned about Panama. I kept looking for those to surface, and they weren't, not very much. And I was running into an awful lot of good things, from the affordability to the mild climate. I'm also a lover of the mountains. And when I heard that Cuenca, Ecuador was at 8,400 feet in the Andes, I went, whoa, that kind of talks to my soul. There was a lot of talk about the great people, uh, how welcoming they are, and very tolerant welcoming of expat, American expats. Uh, that was a contrast to what I'd heard about Panama. Lots of talk about the great nature and all of the flowers and the birds and the animals and the fish and all, all that diversity, which also talks to me. I love the sounds of the culture, which seemed to talk to my my kind of romantic attraction to that Latina, Latino-themed uh, things, and uh, that there was good health care in the cities, because I was, you know, getting up in age, and that that's always important. In the three big cities, which are Quito, Cuenca, and Guayaquil, they have surprisingly good health care and hospitals and uh, a lot of the latest equipment. It may not be completely up to snuff with the U.S., but anyway, it was, I kind of checked that off saying, okay, that's that's good. Then I started discovering the same kinds of message boards that I had encountered in Panama. And I know now that it's it's about the same hundred people all the time wow. that show up, <laughs> show up at these places and they paint a very one-sided image of of the chip on their shoulder and all their issues. And, you know, you eventually figure out they're not going to be happy no matter where they live because mm, they're just unhappy people. And because they sound like they prov- they're providing information, it kind of sucks in new people and saying like, oh, I need to hear this, I think. And nobody else is talking about this. I need, to, <laughs> I need to have this balance. So I moved past that. And I purposely, and this is a real key, and I, it's a strong suggestion for people who are listening to this, I purposely started searching out people on the various sources who seemed to know what they were talking about and didn't have an axe to grind. And I established a one-on-one connection with them. One was a facilitator from Montana who was here and helping expats uh, settle into Ecuador uh, and others like that. There were about three main ones. And we started exchanging direct emails. By then, I had this long laundry list. Uh, I would call them, those are the things that I wish I had known. I was able to pose those one-on-one with these people. And one in particular who turned out to be my facilitator to help me get my permanent visa and so forth once I was here, she answered about 10 of my questions 
in the first email exchange. Wow. And I had been looking and looking and looking. One example is my plan was not to move my household down here. My plan was to move down here with like 10 or 12 suitcases or totes, plastic totes. And I didn't want to create the same. I wanted to start over. For the life of me, I could not get a straight answer on, is there a limit to how many of those you can bring? Especially uh, the airline rules, but also customs and sure. and Ecuador itself. Interesting. And it went, it went to the heart of my plan. It's like, can I even do this, right? Yeah. She she filled me in on that, but there were but there was this long list, and it was um it was all it was about health the healthcare and the crime and the all kinds of diverse questions, but because of her, I was satisfied that I wasn't scared at moving into Cuenca and Ecuador. That's a good thing you found. Uh, Cuenca came up to the top of the list very readily because I didn't want to be in a big city, and Cuenca sounded ideal. People seemed to love it for the same reasons I would. And so I started preparing to make the move based on what I'd learned. And that means, you know, garage sales. I call one an estate sale to sell the better stuff mm-hmm. and the garage sale for all the outdoor gear and stuff and stuff. And so I finally got down and I, I never told anybody that I was going to do this. And I guess I wasn't able to tell myself I was actually doing it, but I was preparing and that that started great gaining steam. And so finally, the point came when I had to commit. And so I committed and I started mentioning to a few people and announced it to my family. And uh, I'll never forget one of my nieces who knew me well. My sister said, said, did you hear Terry's moving to Ecuador? And she, I was in the room and she said, that's perfect for him. And I went, really? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you know. So anyway, my advice is that wherever you're going to move, if you look hard enough, you can find negative negativism about it. But be aware that that's usually limited to a small number of people who hang out there because they feed each other's anger and <laughs> chips on their shoulders and all that stuff. And it can give you a really slanted view of a place. If you think that kind of covers that, I would, I would move into how, once I arrived here, how it compared to my expectations. Yes, X. Ex- Absolutely. Okay. Oh, so so the most interesting part was um, I had my airplane ticket. I had every pack, everything packed, and I had screened everything for what was what was legal and what was not, and all stuff. It's quite a process. I th- I think it's uh, it's very much like moving aboard a yacht to live. <laughs> you go through these stages where you 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 first get rid of everything you think you need to, and you keep everything you think you can't live without. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, oh, geez, that's 20 totes. I can't. <laughs> and so you go through a second cut where you get rid of some more stuff and the sentimental stuff starts coming. I mean, all the photographs and the photo albums. And I went through about three cuts and got it down to the three suitcases and 10 plastic totes. So was that the limit? Did you find out? No, no, that was my limit. Is that information now available anywhere? No. I tried calling the airline. I went out to the airport finally one night at 10 o'clock because so the traffic would be down. And the SeaTac Airport, it's a big airport in Seattle, it's, you know, a busy yeah. place, lots of traffic. I went out there and I took my totes and my suitcases and I went to the to baggage, uh, not claim, but uh, count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm moving to Ecuador and I want to take three suitcases and 10 plastic totes. Here's a tote. Mm-hmm. 
and I and it seems to meet, meet your requirements. And here's a bag. Here's the biggest bag. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have t- ten of these. And and they said no problem. Oh. <laughs> and I said, is there a limit on how many of these totes I could bring? And they kind of mumbled and said, uh, <laughs> and I mean, they didn't oh, give my. a straight answer. They didn't wow. give a straight answer. That's so interesting. And, and so smart um, you did that. And so basically they said, you're good to go. Oh. <laughs> so the day comes that I'm to leave and I go online. I'm not leaving until nighttime, 10 o'clock. So the morning of, I went online to check in. And it said, do you want to check your bags while you're at it? I went, oh, perfect. <laughs> and I went down and it said, how many bags are you, will you have? And there was a drop-down menu. And it only went to three. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> now, being an internet guy that oh, have wow. been involved in lots of websites and lots of business systems behind websites, mm-hmm. I immediately knew that could mean one of two things. Either something had, some rule had changed. <laughs> between your visit <laughs> or the web people just hadn't caught up with regulations and changed the drop down menu which is very possible and so it's just out of date and i thought well i can still check in when i get there so i'll just allow for that right but then it started really bugging me i said what if that's true mm-hmm. <laughs> and i spent from about eight o'clock in the morning to noon or one calling everybody i could think of to try to get a straight answer on what was going on. And finally, somebody said, Panama City Airport instituted a limit of three baggies on people coming through the airport. And I said, but I'm not stopping it. I'm not going to be offloading. You know, I'm, I'm continuing. And they said, it doesn't matter. And so you're limited to three. Oh, wow. And it was just because this was late December, mid-December. It had something to do with holiday traffic, I guess can't believe this and uh and so there i was leaving in seven or eight hours and i had it sitting in my garage ready to load three suitcases and nine totes all labeled right right to satisfy customs what's inside right and all the stuff you want and it's all the stuff i want and i felt i needed so now here i am on my knees in the garage opening oh. all of this stuff up oh. and and starting right. out what I really, really, really needed that I could get by for a while with. And I didn't know how I was going to get the rest of it there, but I, I, uh, I said, I'll just have to figure it out. So I went and I arrived. Uh, the short story is that I had some friends, the same friends that had gone to Panama. Mm-hmm. They came down to visit me about two months after I arrived and they brought my nine totes with them as check baggage. Oh, and oh, wow. without, without a glitch, it had cost something like, cost something like $900. I had called every avenue I could think of uh, to how to get that here. And that's the smallest number I had heard was $3,000. So they were able to bring out a check baggage for as their stuff for 900 bucks. Wow. That's great. So it was unbelievable. Okay. So so I'm in Ecuador, Mm -hmm. in Cuenca. Uh, Let me tell you the, the end of the story first. I didn't encounter any unexpected surprises that made me question my decision. Okay, great. Which is, I think, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, but two things jumped out at me. One is I had never seen a place where the old and the new coexisted side by side in every way you can think of 
the way it does here. I love that. What I mean, like on a, on a structure, you can have a 100-year-old building with a wall crumbling down and bricks laying on the sidewalk next to a bright, shiny, steel and glass bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you go out in the country, mm-hmm. you can have a 100-year-old home with holes in the roof and all that stuff next to an estate with 20 acres and a brand new house and BMWs in the driveway. And all yeah, that stuff. yeah. I and it's just, it was just so <laughs> striking. So interesting. I thought, never even thought about that before. Yeah. And the other thing is, I had expected more people in the everyday people in shops and stores and stuff to, to speak English to some degree. And that was not the case. There's more now. It seems to be increasing all the time, especially as the colleges here. There's five colleges, and they turn out students who, who have taken English in, class, in school. And so a lot of the younger people are bilingual, but they don't run the little stores. Those are mom and pops. So I, I was thrown into trial by fire. I had made arrangements for the first six weeks here through Airbnb to stay with an Ecuadorian family. And they had said uh, that in advance that they didn't speak Spanish or English at home, but that the mother knew some English and we'd get by. Yeah, she spoke English. I think she had about 50 words in her vocabulary. (laughs) So that was a trial by fire, too. So I came in on a Friday night. On Saturday, when I realized that the language challenge, I thought, I'm not going outside. (laughs) (laughs) If I get in a cab, they're going to start hitting me with all kinds of questions. And where do you want to go? And mm-hmm. I'm not going to. I'm going to be saying no entiendo, no entiendo, no entiendo. <laughs> if I go to a store, they're going to be saying, well, "How can I help you?" I'm going to, no entiendo. <laughs> <laughs> it was very intimidating. So on Sunday, the second day, I ventured out. I was within walking distance of one of the main supermarkets here, and I went over. And I was went perfectly fine. No one said a word, and it dawned on me. Expats are obvious to locals. Don't necessarily know you're Americans, but they know you're expats for a variety of reasons. And as soon as they conclude that, they assume you don't speak Spanish, and so they don't bother to talk to you. And so I went all through the process, and nobody said a word to me. And so I started getting a little bit more courage. So uh, to just put that language thing aside, I had a couple tutors in my home to learn Spanish. And I tried some recorded things and all that sort of thing. They all worked, but I just, I don't know, something got in the way each time. I got, I, I couldn't maintain the schedule or it was too much. They didn't know any English, so they couldn't explain in English what we were trying to do in the lesson. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I don't know what we're trying to do here. So anyway, the point is, my Spanish, I've just learned mainly by doing it. I had Spanish in high school and college, but had never used it. Mm-hmm. So I think the vocabulary came back fairly readily, but the grammar, not at all. Uh, and so today I have what I would call transactional Spanish. Nice. Mm-hmm. Meaning I can get things done. I can get what I need. I can go to a store and get in a cab and whatever and, and find things. Mm-hmm. But as I say in my book, there's a big difference since between saying, where can I buy fresh fish? And saying something like, I love Ecuador and its traditions. Tell me about your family history. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you back up a second? When you yeah. got when you got there, had you found before you left? Before you left, had you found a home or a be? Where were you staying once you arrived? It was at the Airbnb. The family. I had. Uh, it was a condo in an area that. Ironically, it's called Gringolandia because there's a number of high rises, and that's where that's where the biggest population of expats lived, and they happened to be there. Okay, I, I didn't know that then, but it was a very nice place, 
and I, I extended for two weeks to help me find a place to live. And it's ironic when I finally wound up with a, my facilitator, who was he's he's the one that kind of drives me around when I need it, and he translates. He's fabulously valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He he linked me up with a uh, real estate agent, and we went out one day. And she showed us four places, none of which worked. And I thought we were done for the day and I was getting frustrated. I didn't like what I was seeing for the price. And she says, I have one more place to show you. And I went, uh, I looked at my watch. I said, okay. And she drove over to a building one block from where I was living, where I was staying. And I had been in that, I had looked at that building. It's an impressive building. Uh, I was told there was nothing available by more than one person. I told her that, told her agent, I said, I'm told there's nothing there. She goes, well, they're wrong. We drove up, we walked into the unit. And I I didn't like everything about it, but I thought it was pretty darn nice and had enough going for it for the price, which was $550 for a three-bedroom, two-bath wow. condo on the sixth floor with a view. Wow. Plus, the, they call it Aliquota, the uh, condominium dues and utilities, which adds about another 130 And that's it. So wow. I said uh, it had a dinky refrigerator, and I like to cook. And I said, that's never going to work. And so I tell the agent, I said, please call the owner, ask if they will provide a larger refrigerator. And she calls, you know, blah, 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 Spanish, 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 hangs up. She goes, nope, they just bought that. They put it in here. They don't want anybody messing with it. They don't even want it removed. It stays. (laughs) And I went, oh, boy. And I'm thinking, at least for now, I probably need to take this anyway. So I said, call the owner and ask them if they'll reduce the rent $50 a month. She called, blah, blah, blah. Yes, she will. I said, I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Cool. So I've been here seven years. Wow. Um, So you were able to negotiate that. (laughs) Interesting. Well, here's, here's an important aside, at least in, uh, in Latin America and certainly Mm -hmm. in Ecuador, you are expected to negotiate. Oh, I Ah. hate that. And if you don't, they lose a little bit of respect for you. What? Ah, and I tell you, once Uh, you kind of learn how to go about it, I mean, some very general rules, it's entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Especially once you realize that they're ready to play and you just don't worry about offending them because the the general rule is you're probably likely to end up at best somewhere around two-thirds of what they ask. So if they're asking a dollar, well, if they're asking $10, you hit them with $7 and they go, no, no, no. They'll say nine. And they say, what about eight? No, no. And you wind up somewhere in the middle. It's so exhausting. And and you don't think that they think, oh, here comes another gringo. He's going to negotiate. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't seem huh. to happen. Really? Uh, at, least, at least it doesn't get in the way for me not that I've seen. And that leads to a piece of advice that's quick to tell that uh, is really worth uh, mentioning. And that is the, at the public markets here, the, the like truck farm markets. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a slick supermarket, it's very wise to become a regular at you know at a vegetable stand, a fruit stand, a fish stand, or whatever, mm-hmm. and get to know them, and even ask them for their name and call them by name when you go back, yeah, and you will that. be treated far better oh, yeah, than just yeah, that makes a stranger. Mm-hmm. That's true anywhere about anything. I think. Yeah, I love people like that. And they, God, they look at you and there's a smile on their face, <laughs> and sometimes. They'll say, uh, how, you know, how much is this? And they'll say, $4 for you, $3. <laughs> the old for you. And that's because you got to know them. Right. Mm-hmm. So then and, you don't have to negotiate once you know them. Yeah. And, and, and you've shown that you like them. 
mm-hmm. and that all is all is good. That was a long aside. I no, I here. love that because that's important. Six hundred and thirty dollars <laughs> a month for three bedroom, two wow. baths, six floor wow. view. Condo. That's amazing. So you live in Greenlandia. The economy is Condominio La Terraza. And so, so obviously you like it there. Tell us a little about the area. It's one of the nicest buildings here and one of the best run buildings here. You mentioned the Tomebamba River in your opening. It's right across the street. I could throw oh. a rock and hit it. Oh, wow. So nice. And it's, it's lined with cypress trees <gasps> that are, I don't know, 80, 100 feet tall. Wow. And it's beautiful. Uh, it's it's one of the best spots. The banks are lined mostly with grass and these huge tree trunks. During high water, they, they'll fall down and cross the river and run bridges and power lines and stuff. All the streets have been newly paved since I've been here. I am three blocks from Supermaxi, which is a major supermarket, <laughs> very similar to an average supermarket, I would say. Mm-hmm. But they built a brand new one that is, is just about up there with the Whole Foods supermarket. Wow. I am two blocks from a little bar and grill. I'm across the street from the uh, river. Since I've been here, they've built a Tranvia, an electric tram, light rail, ah. that runs from one end of the of the basin to the other through town. It is very cool. It was It's a French train, and uh, it's very slick and modern and uh, bright red. And they finally got it running. As a senior, there are things here that are, you get a discount if you're over 65. So the tran tranvia cost me seventeen cents. Oh my goodness! <laughs> if I wasn't an old old guy, it would cost thirty five cents. <laughs> so you don't need and, a car, or do you? Oh, that's an important question. Sixty to sixty five percent of expats here do not own a car. Part of it is financial, but also a big part of it is that part of the charm of Ecuador is that it feel. I mean, the quicker is that it feels small. It's a walking city. There's a phrase that you run into. Mm-hmm. It has gradual hills, but but not steep hills. So you can you can get around. And uh, there are, I think it's 3,500 taxis in Cuenca. Wow. <laughs> it's a town, and this will surprise you. It's about a 700,000 population, but it feels like 200,000. Really? Huh. You've got the central area that it's that was is very old and very centralized. It's only like twelve blocks across, mm-hmm. and then it spreads out from there. There's a tremendous bus system both within the city and between cities. And then the taxis are unless it's really bad rain or you're in a weird part of town, you could probably get a taxi within two or three minutes. Hail a taxi, but there's also services you can call uh, either online or phone. You can call and request one. I can get from my, my condo to most places that I go in greater downtown for no more than $2. Wow. Wow. So that's uh, yeah. So why would you get a wonderful call? thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now at the Tranvia, I do that instead of a lot of, a lot of cabs I used to take. Yeah, that sounds nice. I used to go downtown four or five days a week and go to a restaurant that I liked and have breakfast and a latte while I worked on my laptop. Oh, oh, wow. Oh. And um, <laughs> you spend $2 to get down there. You spend $7 for breakfast and you go home for $2. And, mm, nice. And that's nice. Yeah. Um, and the, the taxes, are you expected to tip? And the restaurants also. Okay. We're, we're not sure. Um, <laughs> they say that Ecuadorians don't expect us to tip and that Ecuadorians don't tip. 
But I think uh, it's a mixed bag because I think most uh, expats do tip because it's Mm -hmm. the custom Mm -hmm. and they don't feel right not tipping. Most people don't feel right not tipping. And so now we've kind of created an expectation that (laughs) if they're Ecuadorian, they won't tip. But if they're an expat, they probably will tip. I tell you, I... I'm kind of funny about the taxis. Um, when I first got here and the Tranvia was was approaching, taxi drivers who, who were all unionized uh, were up in arms. They weren't making enough money. And the Tranvia was going to present more uh, competition. So they were up in arms and demonstrating about raising taxi fares, which are regulated by the city. They got a bit of a raise. And then they introduced, oh, this is, I forgot about this. When I got here, there were no taxi meters. And so your ride was whatever the driver asked for. Oh. <laughs> and so sometimes people got upset at that because they thought they were gouging. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take long to get to know what you think it ought to cost. Mm-hmm. So if it was a $2 ride, they're asking for three and all that stuff. So that led to putting meters in. Oh, wow. So then a few taxi drivers refused to get the meter because they wanted to continue to play their game and they resented the authoritarian inserting themselves. That didn't last long. And so everybody wound up with meters and then a few people figured out how to rig them to run faster than they're supposed to. Yes. That didn't last too long. So now it's all settled in and the rates are, are, if you went on a long, longer trip across town, it might be $3, but here's, I always round it up because here's my philosophy. I'm privileged to live in a place like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They got to make a living. The fact that there's so many of them and and they you don't get into trouble with them. They deserve if they ask for 2 bucks I give them 250, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they always act surprised and pleased and I feel good and I'm I hope it keeps them in business and so forth. Let's talk about um health, healthcare, medical resources. In my career in Seattle, I did a lot of uh, marketing work with uh, in the healthcare world, hospitals and clinics and uh, health, health insurance and all that stuff. So I was immersed in a world of healthcare and all of its politics and bureaucracy and what goes I can on. I imagine, yeah. So I came here, like I said, the bigger cities have really uh, a lot of healthcare, lots of clinics and so forth. There's a public hospital for Ecuadorians that is free, but it's kind of like the, the VA system in the U.S., which I'm a veteran, so I used it a little bit mm-hmm. until I said, uh, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing that anymore. It's limited, yeah. It was. It's just so bureaucratic. Yeah. There are good people. There are good pr- practitioners, but it's just so bureaucratic and the communications is challenging and so so that's the way the public hospital works here. But then there's also what's called IESS. I can't tell you what it stands for, but that's like a level up. And it's also largely Ecuadorians. And if you work for a business here, they they take money out of your pay to fund that. And so you get to use that. Okay. So that's private? No, that's still a government-run system. Okay. But okay. but it's populated by doctor, private doctors who spend part of their time there and they have a private practice as well, usually. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That can also be very bureaucratic and frustrating. Trying to schedule is challenging. One theme that kind of overrides all this is the information systems, which in the U.S. we have the best in the world. A place like Ecuador doesn't have that. They are, they've got computers, 
perfect illustration is if you go to get a driver's license, you don't just go. It took me nine months to get my driver's license. What? <laughs> but I won't go into that because it's a whole story. But once you got approved, you have to take a piece of paper to a bank, pay the fee, and bring evidence back where they give you the license. <laughs> So that's the degree to which they don't have network information systems. Wow. I don't think there's any government agency that can accept money. Um, you have to go pay somewhere else and then prove that you did it. Mm. In a lot of cases, if a doctor is based in a hospital, and a lot of them are, there's about six pretty major hospitals in Cuenca. Most of the better doctors or the most established doctors will work partly at one of those hospitals and partly out of their office. If you want to see them in a hospital, because you, you don't even know if they have a practice, private practice, you have to go to the hospital. This is going to strike Americans as, oh, that's ridiculous, right? You have to go to the hospital, go to their gatekeeper, make an appointment for the day, for the, for the time that day, pay them the fee, which is maybe $20 or $30, and come back later for the appointment. You say later, is it later in the week, later in no, that day? No, like, like three o'clock or four ah. o'clock or whatever, oh, right? Same thing. <laughs> no, he might, he might be booked up. It might be the next day or whatever, or he might be on vacation. But even if they're around, you might get lucky and say uh, it's in two hours if you want to hang out. You know, they won't say that, mm -hmm. but if you want to hang out, you could. Mm -hmm. But almost all the time, I'd have to schedule, pay, go waste some time, work on my laptop in a cafe and come back for the appointment. Oh, so it's the cost. And so you have you have lots of general practitioners. You have a, a pretty full complement of specialists. You have all kinds of labs and, and technical services. There are lots of dentists. And they some are schooled in the U.S. and some are schooled here. Some are schooled in Chile. And, and uh, some, uh, some of the doctors are trained in Cuba, which is actually famous for medical training. I didn't know that. And the hospitals are, for the most part, are very clean, sanitary. They're old. They're not all clean and polished and flashy like some American hospitals, but uh, they get the job done. Uh, but if you, if you got out in a smaller town, there may or may not be a doctor. There won't be a hospital. Uh, and uh, you got to travel to get good health care. And do a lot uh, of expats purchase uh, private insurance? Yeah, that's important to bring up. Since I've been here, they passed a law saying, uh, I guess it was everybody, not just expats, had to have insurance, health insurance. And I guess it was to reduce the burden on the free systems and stuff because Ecuador is financially challenged like most small developing countries. So they came out with this law that said, uh, you got to have proof of, of uh, health insurance and you're not going to be able to get on an airplane and go anywhere if you don't can't prove it coming or going. And so that started this huge upheaval in, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm not really supposed to go to the public, public hospital because I'm not Ecuadorian. I could go to IESS. IES passed a rule saying if you're an expat, you can pay to join us, which was $72 for a person and about 80 or 85 for a couple. $72 for a month? Or for and uh, they'll give you proof of insurance and that'll get you in another country and so forth. But, and a lot of expats did that and still do that. I had the option of doing private insurance and I wasn't willing to accept these challenging. My, my thought was if I ever have a serious disease, which, which is when I really need support, financial support, I don't want to go to a questionable place where the bureaucracy 
is going to be getting in the way, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the law, more insurance companies have set up business here. There are already some. One of the most prominent turned into a debacle because they signed a bunch of new expats because of the law. They were based in Quito, and some mucky muck executive stole money from the company oh and, and put them into financial straits, and they faked it and lied about it for a while, but they weren't filling claims, satisfying claims. And finally, it caught up with them, and they quit and went out of business. So all those put that put all the expats on the street. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to a different company that's been around, and uh, I've never used it, but it continues to have a pretty good reputation. Actually, I have a two two layered insurance now. Uh, I have a one that covers the first five thousand dollars, and it's for or, ordinary everyday kind of stuff. And then I've got a major medical that starts at five thousand and goes up. It's like two million or something. And so, if you have a major problem, they they kick in. It's pretty complete coverage, although they play the same game every insurance company does. Uh, they make it hard to understand. They make it hard to compare. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they also make it hard to do claims. Like my 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 first level insurance supposedly covers prescriptions, which, by the way, this will blow your mind. Except for barbiturates and other habit forming drugs, you don't need a prescription for for drugs here. Yeah, yeah, we've we've heard that. Yeah, some and, other countries and, have and, that. And yeah. I have never in seven years I've never heard a story about a drug overdose or drug problems. Oh wow! Wow. Um, you just walk in and say whatever you know. I have I worked to an agent who's a decent guy, but I found out they make it so complicated and convoluted to submit your prescriptions. I finally gave up. I said, forget it. Right? It's not worth it. I'm saving that for doctor's visits and more, more involved things. <laughs> Can we you go back? Yeah. So if I have an emergency, I'm assuming, or maybe I shouldn't, can I just walk into a hospital? You know, I was hit by a car. I need help. I don't think there's a simple answer to that. Um, I think there's a, a Ecuadorian law that says hospitals cannot refuse emergencies. That doesn't mean what you learn in Ecuador as well as a lot of places is that, um, just because it's a law doesn't mean it, it works that way. If you're a member of IESS, you can walk into an ISS hospital and get care. If you have private insurance, you can walk into any hospital that's in their network, like in the U.S., and get care. If you walked in carrying your arm in one hand, I think they would help you. I think anybody would help you. I went to an emergency clinic that was within walking distance of me when I first got here. They sent me to all kinds of doctors and ran labs and all kinds of stuff. And they, they never asked for ID or insurance or anything. They just say that's $20 oh, wow. or that's. Oh, okay. So that's that's available. That It's available. Yeah. But I have to say, if you're an expat and you walk in, you kind of get stares like you can afford health care and stuff. Why do you, what are you doing here? Uh, uh, okay. No, it's not. It's not in your face. Mm-hmm. It's just. You know, the looks. Parent, yeah. Once you've established a relationship with a physician, is it still that same process? You have to go and make the appointment? No. Wait a couple, okay. I have a wonderful situation right now. I, I, uh, one of the news service called Gringo Post, you can post on it and they publish news and all that stuff. So it's kind of like a message board, but it's a, another level up. Mm-hmm. They have a vote every year, the best of. My categories. Nice. 
And my doctor, I read, had been three years in a row, my current doctor, had been voted the best doctor in Cuenca. Wow. And these are mostly expats voting. And it turns out he lives 10 minutes from me over a pharmacy I've been going to that's owned by his parents. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. And so I've been going to him for several years. Okay. And he is a hoot. Um, <laughs> he speaks very good English, and he's got a funny sense of humor, and he doesn't take himself and healthcare seriously. Nice. So it's pretty interesting visits. Okay, good. And and he has he's very particular about who he refers you to, whether it's for EKG or labs. In some categories, there's only one or two that he'll refer to that he considers reliable or does things the way he thinks they should be done. And so that's working very nicely. Now, he only charges $20 for an office visit. Wow. 30 is probably more typical. Mm-hmm. And, and so in return, he does not play in the insurance world. He does no insurance. I had my doctor in the States went down that path. So you just pay out of pocket for whatever, and it's cheap, yeah. and he doesn't have to do any paperwork, and you don't have any bureaucracy. And if he wants to refer you out, you just make an appointment with that doctor. And if they're and have their own private practice, you just call the office, get an appointment like you would in the States. So that's becoming more the norm. Okay. Um, now, here's something that happens a lot. Uh, in fact, I will t- I'll tell you a, a, a horror story. Not a horror story, but it's, a, it's an unfortunate story. But it illustrates something that happens a lot here uh, in how expats view healthcare. I have a woman who lives in my building. And she went to a doctor here and got a diagnosis that was serious. Mm. And somehow in the conversation, it came up, and this this will happen here. They suggested that she get a second opinion and that she get it in the States where they have specialists in the technology and the stuff to do it. So it's pretty common for expats here to take a trip to the States to get medical opinions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But she, being who she is, she decides to move back to the States and get her medical advice because I guess she didn't, she assumed it couldn't be adequately handled here. And that that's a perception, right? Mm -hmm. And it isn't always true. So she goes to the States. She goes to Seattle because some people had recommended it, got her healthcare. She spent about a year, decided she didn't like Seattle. She's now back in Cuenca. All that move. Now here's the worst part. That doctor was a renegade. Uh, and he had been banned by the whole medical community. Oh, my God. No one would refer to him. He was an outcast because he was crazy, whatever. I don't know why. Right, right. I guess she didn't check and, the message boards. And so she probably did it all for not. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, but, the, but the theme is still there, and that is that people have a fairly serious issue. They want a hip replacement or whatever mm-hmm. they have this i think they don't even realize that they have this prejudice like they couldn't possibly have good enough health care for what i'm used to so i'm i'm going to miami right mm-hmm. but the fact may well be they do in fact have that here and you could get very good service there's a lot of surgery done here for, all the way up to brain surgery there's a cancer center there's so yeah, that happens a lot. I have a question. In your book, you have a chapter about you list eight reasons why people move to Ecuador. Can you talk about that? In my book, I wanted to make it clear that an awful lot of generalizations don't hold water because not everybody's the same. Not not everybody has their own reasons, their motivations, and 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 lifestyles. 
And so I wanted to show the breadth of the most common types so that if they could find somebody they identify with and, and say, yeah, that's me. The first one I called the have to moves. And this is a big category. It is, and here I'm talking mostly about Americans. Uh, there's a lot of Europeans that come here too and Australians. And the have to moves are people who financially cannot afford to stay in the States. They were hit by a, a housing crisis or the financial crisis, or they lost a job and they're 63 and they can't get a job. And, and uh, they just, sit down at the kitchen table and they go, something's got to give. We're spending, you know, $5,700 a month to live and our income right now is $2,000. And, you know, we can't move anywhere in the U.S. and make this work. Here's the unfortunate part. Americans being Americans who are generally pretty spoiled. We've had it really pretty darn good compared to the rest of humanity, right? Yeah. They have high expectations. So they come here with a chip on their shoulder, many of them. And that chip is because their perspective was, I followed all the rules. I went to school. I got married. I had a family. I got a good paying job. I had benefits. I had health care. I, I had a nice car. And I was saving money and investing money. And I was supposed to retire. And we were going to move to the mountains and have that cabin. And right? <laughs> Well, because of the way things conspired, none of that happened. So now they're sitting here feeling inadequate saying we got to move somewhere that's cheaper to live. I just don't see any other way out. So they come here resenting what happened to them. And it's and I mention it because it's very common. Uh, and that that's what accounts for some many of those people on the message boards that are grouchy all the time. And some of those come here thinking they're going to find work here. And that usually doesn't work. It's not that it can't, but it usually doesn't because for two reasons. They don't know Spanish. And no matter what you're doing here, you're going to need some Spanish. And if you find a job, it's probably not going to pay what you need it to pay to make ends meet based on what you're accustomed to, even though you're here. And so uh, I think some of those people go back home. Uh, and, and, the, and the most challenging part are the ones in their 30s with two or three kids that come here on that basis. Oh, wow. Almost all of them wind up going somewhere else. In your opening, you mentioned that I, I was a specialist in uh, digital information business, on, online business. And that just means selling information in one of tons of forms online. Well, you can live anywhere and you can, you can still target the American audience and get American dollars for what you're selling and live on Ecuadorian prices. For example, my book is on Amazon. My Kindle book is $8.00. Um, for $8, I can buy, if I go in one of the pub, the mercados, the indigenous mercados like truck farms, mm -hmm. I can buy a week's worth of vegetables for $8. It's kind of like a currency arbitrage, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> except that you're living it. Um, right. That's the first one. Then there's the want to moves, I call them, meaning they could afford to stay in the States, but for some reason they don't want to. I'm one of those who I could have stayed, but I wanted my money to go further. I came here for three reasons. For financial reasons, so my money would go further and I could have more luxuries and travel more. The second was I didn't like the direction of the culture and politics in the U.S. And the third was I never, I never bought into the traditional notion of retirement. I always wanted to stay involved and active and vigorous and, and doing new things. And I, did, I wanted to last last third of my life to be an adventure, not just this phase out. <laughs> right. 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 So sure. those are, and I, I say those were equally important to me. 
And those are kind of pretty common here. And I, I find people who say the same thing. Okay, so the want to moves, I just thought that things could be better here for me if I did. Then number three are the vagabonds. These are the people who are out to see the world. Uh, they don't think they're ever going to stop. They're not looking for a place to call home. Most of those are the college kids. Uh, they're just traveling. Now, they might come here expecting to stay a week and stay seven months because they like it, but they still move on. Then you have the escapees, uh, and this is just a fact of life, uh, people running from the law or spouses or mm. creditors or whatever. <laughs> um, yep, yep. And so they're around. And then I separated out uh, looking for new adventure types. Uh, that sounds like the vagabonds, except... They are shopping for a place that they fall in love with and they're going to stay. Mm. They may not live there all the time. They may continue traveling, but they want, it'll be their home base. So there's those. Then they got the political slash cultural escapees. They really hate and are alienated by what's going on in the States. They don't feel the same about it as they once did. Being a veteran, that was a strong emotion for me. Uh, I, I was in Vietnam and so I had the old uh, defending your country mindset, right? The last, the second to the last one is the internet freed um, entrepreneurs. Mm. These are usually younger people who grew up in an online world, in, a, in an internet world, in a cell phone world, and they're making a living online one way or another, and they can do it from anywhere. Are those also known as the digital nomads? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. okay. That's a fair term. And they may have a, some of those other categories in them. One of the most famous books written in recent years was uh, The Four-Day Workweek. It was about a guy who said, if you, if you do it right, you can make a living online working four hours a week, which is not really true, but you might be able to do it for, for 15 hours a week. That book sold millions, and a lot of people were influenced by that. Uh, now, I consciously, in the later part of my career, got myself in a place where I was making a living online because I knew it gave me a lot more options yeah. and it happened to play out. I mean, I'm sitting here. I just checked my speed last night. I'm sitting here. What's my fee? I guess it's $60 a month, but I'm getting a hundred megabytes per second internet speed, both up and down. Wow. Oh, Lord, it's nice. And it's, and it's fiber optic and it's very reliable. My last category, one that always gets the most chuckles is the clueless. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, people might ask, well, why did you include that? I said, well, because it happens. I uh, experienced one of the best cases. I was sitting in a, at the bar in a restaurant. Guy came in, expat, sat down next to me, ordered, and I struck up. It's kind of typical. You say, if somebody's an expat, you strike up a conversation. And the questions are always start the same. Uh, how long you been here? Where'd you come from? What brought you here? And all that mm -hmm. stuff. Right? And his answer was, uh, I lived in Chicago. I had a very serious car wreck and my whole body's full of screws and rods and all that sort of thing. And I have a lot of body pain and nobody's been able to touch it with drugs and all that sort of thing. And when the cold hits Chicago, it's just, mm -hmm. I'm absolutely miserable. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he was telling this to a lady friend and she said, oh, you ought to move to Ecuador. Everybody's moving to Ecuador. <laughs> it's it's always warm down there. And uh, four days later, he was sitting on the bar stool next to me. Oh my goodness! <laughs> he has he quote. He said, "I sold everything. God knows what that was. It might have been a, a boda bag or something." He told me that's why he moved here. I said, oh "My gosh! So what do you know about Ecuador?" He goes, "I know where I am. I'm in this restaurant here." <laughs> I said, "Where are you staying?" He goes, "Some hotel. He reaches some hotel." 
It's about two blocks from here. I'm not sure which direction it is. <laughs> and I thought, now here's a highly motivated guy. <laughs> What's going to happen to him? You know, is he going to be here 30 years later, loving his life, or is he going to be be on the message board telling everybody what an awful place this is because it's he still uh, gets cool. How old was this guy? Oh, probably 40. Oh my God. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, right? You've got people like us who research the hell out of everything. Yeah. I was trying to buy a light bulb last night. Oh, I know it's, an, <laughs> no, seriously, I wanted something that would mimic sunlight. Well, you know, you go, you get sucked into the black hole of Amazon and, you know, I'm, I'm a technical person by nature. So I'm reading the Kelvin, the wattage, <laughs> you know, years ago, 60 Watts. Now it's, you know, it's 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 brighter and the technology and i cannot imagine now how i could just buy a simple led light bulb okay okay that's <laughs> neither here nor there so wow we have covered a lot a lot i i have um i have two remaining questions and and i have some too Oh, you have some too? Well, <laughs> let me go first since i spoke first. So you made friends and are they are they mostly expats or how how do you feel about your socialization or, or your living there? It's actually changed uh, pretty significantly. When I first moved here, I was surrounded in my condominium with people who became friends, and it was it was kind of like the big chill movie. You know, it was like everyone's <laughs> hanging out together, having <laughs> dinners together, getting drunk together, and yeah, yeah all the time and they were very diverse and the conversations were fantastic all these different life experiences mm -hmm. and stuff right well one by one they've all got they're all gone and now i i hardly know anybody around me it's, we're talking about five units on on one end of my wow mm -hmm. wow one their landlord wanted to live in a unit and they were forced out and they moved mm -hmm. about four blocks away oh one couple moved to mexico and he died of a heart attack about nine months later. Oh, my goodness. One couple moved to Carolinas, and they bought a place on a on a backwater, or I don't know what they call them. Um, mm, okay. One spends three months a year in Italy and the nine months a year in Northern California where they have families in both places, and uh, they still rent their unit here. And then there's one on the end of the hall who was renting a very nice place, one of the nicest places in the building. And they bought a unit on another floor and renovated it. And so there's now there's people. I actually never met them. I've never yet run into these people. Wow. In there. And so it's so my social life used to be just centered pretty much around that, except I was in a pool league. I have some Ecuadorian friends oh, nice. that are wonderful. Nice. I have a housekeeper who's become a friend. She actually has uh, uh, appointed herself my mother uh, <laughs> because I'm a helpless single man uh, living alone who needs a lot of help. Good for you. And so she, she saved me. <laughs> I used to go out so much to the cafes when I was working. It was before the pandemic. Once I updated my book, my work kind of trailed off. So I don't encounter expats casually anymore like I once did. But you go to parties, and there's always new people there. Mm -hmm. uh, like my, one of my the couples that that was forced out by the landlord, they moved they moved twice. They're in a new place, and they've got a neighbor, and I and we kind of created a new social group. Mm. And uh, I was just there for Easter, and there's like twelve people, seven of which I'd never met before. So that happens sometimes. Expats have Ecuadorians to their their events, their parties. 
but only if they speak English. Some do, so um, that limits the inter the interaction that takes place. Cuenca has a surprising number of cultural events, and the Latinos love to party. They love to celebrate. They love their fiestas, mm-hmm. and so Cuenca has about I don't know, probably nine a year. Wow, that are pretty significant, and they're all different. You've got live theater. There's about three significant ones. You have major museums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots, lots of history. We have a jazz club cool. that gets traveling jazz artists from New York City and places like that. We have wow. some really great art shows. We got a lot of artists here and craftsmen, potters, and that sort of thing. So cool. did I answer yeah. your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, my other question, Gene, and then you can have the mic. <laughs> And and this is for my own selfish curiosity, the topic of, it's morbid, the topic of end of life. You know, when you're living abroad and you're not near family, how do you approach something like that? Well, you're psychic. <laughs> I'm going through that process right now. The planning process. <laughs> That's the process of dying. <laughs> well, I guess I am. I guess we all are. But, yeah, we all are, yes. Um, but I'm, I'm going through the process of preparing. It's a tremendously important question. Because it can be a tremendous mess uh, between the differences in healthcare systems and law and so forth. There's a woman here, an expat here, who moved here with her husband, and he had two heart attacks and associated issues. And uh, they spent months in and out of hospitals, and he eventually passed away. They were completely unprepared. And so she now teaches expats about what she learned to prepare for end of life. Oh, wow. Good. And does a great job. And by the way, lest I forget, there are now more and more services here based on end-of-life, in-home help and assisted living help and things of that sort. Great, great. It's like Quink is growing up in that regard. Okay. The healthcare system in Ecuador does not work like it does in the States because large families are the norm here. And over the eons, when somebody in the family gets sick, and and most of them are living in multi-generational homes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. When somebody gets sick, the whole family supports them. Yes. And that's also true when they go to the hospital. If you're sitting in a hospital room, you don't have nurses doting over you every day and, and attending to your every need. If you want a glass of water, whoever's there with the family at the time goes and gets you a glass of water. Mm-hmm. If you fall out of bed, which happened to a friend of mine, you call the nurses, and the nurses call some guys, and they say, can you get him back into bed? And usually the family helps. You have to be self-reliant. You have to have a system in place, right? So the law says that if you pass away in Ecuador, that half your estate goes to a surviving wife and the other half to your children. No argument, no questions, no probate, no nothing. That's the way it is. If you don't like it, tough. Even if you have a will. Yes. Will cannot override that. So for some people, that's just dandy. Uh, For others, not so much. I have a daughter in Seattle. Uh, I have a sister in Seattle. That's the extent of my close family that remains. I have bank accounts in states, a business one and a personal one. I have have to have a will in the states that directs those monies to where I want them to go. And I have control over that under U.S. law for wills. Right. Here, I have an Ecuadorian bank account. The law says that money is going to go to my surviving spouse or child. And then, so here's what, here's what I'm putting in place. This is the recommendation and to do and what I'm working on. 
I have an attorney who's wonderful, fabulous. We're, we're collaborators as well as client attorney. She's putting together an affidavit that it's kind of what we in the U.S. would think of as a, um, what do you want done with your remains? Whether you want to be resuscitated? And there's a name for that document. Oh, yeah. Living, living, is it your living will? No, it's, it's, a, it's close. Uh, um, but it's um, it's the directive, uh, yeah. Medical directive, yeah. It, it's kind of the uh, the uh, uh, equivalent of that. You're mm-hmm. like, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want this? Do you want that? When you die, what do you want to happen to your remains? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be cremated, buried, whatever? Where do you want the remains to go? It covers all that stuff. Okay. Uh, there are funeral homes here, of course, and so forth. So that's that's kind of the legal financial stuff, and I'm a I'm appointing my attorney as, as with a power of attorney to handle that stuff. But guess what? This will blow your mind. That power of attorney expires, extinguishes at my death. What? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's so she can law? handle my affairs up to the point I die. Oh, my God. But goodness. I have to have other means in place to handle it after I die. Oh. So meanwhile... I'm going to need, let's say I, I just don't drop dead. I need care over weeks and months. I have, there's a comp- new company here called VIP Healthcare, and they specialize in helping people outside the healthcare system with whatever their needs, health needs are. They can come into the home, almost any, any basis you want. 24-hour live-in down to, can somebody bring me dinner? They're going to be my healthcare provider. They're going to manage when I can't manage my affairs, my healthcare affairs. They step in and they are empowered to decide all that. And okay, they so know they, what my. They will call your your daughter, your sister, and you know whatever. All of that. Um, okay. okay. They make appointments. They go with you to the appointments. They come into your home if you want to stay there, and they have great. nurses that do whatever. That's great. Drug management, uh, all of it. So they work hand in hand with the financial. They can get they get paid by the attorney mm-hmm. as they go. For example, because I, I could hang on for two years, right? Mm-hmm. So the attorney is doling out money to meet the needs, and then when the funeral home comes, they can pay them, and so forth. So there's this sort of orchestration, and I'm currently putting that in place. And people will be interested in like what that costs. I've got two m- primary documents. One's going to cost a hundred dollars. One's going to be a hundred and fifty dollars. My goodness, oh, that's great. <laughs> so inexpensive, yeah. yeah. So now I've heard other more complete where people have a little more complicated circumstances and it costs them more like $400 oh, to do their documentation. <laughs> right. Oh, so everything. So so now it's not a worry, at least, you know, it's like out of your mind. It's like it took yes. us years to do wills. We're lawyers <laughs> and we still didn't do it. And we finally did it. And you know what? It did not hurt. It was psychologically a problem for me. It didn't hurt in the end. Well, we're very fortunate. There's an obvious need for healthcare in later years. Yeah. And there, it's just coming in. There's just weeks ago, a brand new place was announced. It was designed by an Ecuadorian who has a lot of business experience in the States. It is pretty much an assisted living place as it would be in the States. Mm-hmm. And it's the first kind of official one. And there will be more coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Okay, great. Thanks. I, I have a question about, you mentioned that um, Ecuador, your Cuenca is 8,400 feet up. Tell specifically about the weather. I, I guess it's, it's, it makes it cool there. Weather, weather is a, uh, a very funny topic here. Um, the weather is so unpredictable, the TV stations don't even have a weather forecast. 
Come on. So it's a waste of time. Why bother? You just go out. Here's what I, here's what I say in the book. Uh, here's how to how to deal with the weather. First thing in the morning, stick your arm out the window. If it gets wet, it's raining. If it feels hot, it's sunny. If you get set, <laughs> if it's white, there's it's snowing. It never snows in Cuenca, though. So then, then pull in your arm. Forget everything you just learned. And when you leave the house, take up an umbrella, a light rain top, mm-hmm. a very light wool jacket or sweater that you know crunches up to something this mm-hmm. big, mm-hmm. and sunglasses. And you're ready for whatever you're ready for whatever happens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because it's not going to get any colder than a light sweater with a with a windbreak right. over it. Oh, nice. Right. That's gorgeous. And if it's hot, uh, you should be in like a t-shirt or just a blouse or something, mm-hmm. and you'll be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it rains, depending on the season. Yeah. Frequently and hard. If you don't have an umbrella, you'd be miserable. But with an umbrella, it's like you don't you don't care. As far as seasons go, I gave up on that. If you ask Ecuadorians to explain the seasons here, some will will talk in terms, well, the cooler months this and the warmer months that, and there are these months and all that, all right. Others will say, well, we've got the dry period and we got the wet period, and they don't coincide with the – and I just find that nobody knows. It's just <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the mountains, and what I learned I – like, I was a hiker. I climbed Mount Rainier and stuff back in the yeah. day, and, I, huh. and what I learned was mountains make their own weather. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They so, are unpredictable. Uh, yeah. Right now we're in a season. It's absolutely, be- it's like seventy degrees. It's a beautiful sunny day. Probably about three o'clock. It's going to rain for forty-five minutes hard, mm-hmm. and then it'll be a beautiful evening. Oh. And that's kind wow. of the pattern we're in right nice. now. Oh, that's stunning! I love nice. it. Yeah. And do you need air conditioning? There. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. Unless you're really rich, there is no heater or air conditioning in a home. Interesting. It's it's uh, that speaks to the moderateness of the weather, mm-hmm. right? Here's how I sleep. I've got a, a very lightweight comforter. In the chillier months, I put a blanket on a, a, a an alpaca blanket. <laughs> and in the warmer months, I take that off and I just sleep with the the slight com- comforter, right? So that's that's ah. the only adjustment I make. I have two windows. A, kitchen and a dining room i usually have those open mm. nine months a year a crack you know nine months a year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and three months they're closed oh nice nice oh wow that that explains yes and no bugs i love is i talk in a book about uh things that people never think about that i love about ecuador or cuenca is because of the elevation yeah. i guess we have very few flying and crawling insects water i was going to bring up water we live on the on the slopes of the Andes. Our water comes from the Cajas National Park, which is 30 minutes from me. I can drive from my condo to 13,300 feet in 25 minutes. Wow. 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 So anyway, our water is very, very clean. Oh, you can drink it. We drink it. People find that hard to believe. I tested my tap water compared. I, there's a little tester you can buy at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And it tests the contaminants. I tested a bottle of the most popular bottled water here versus my tap water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were virtually identical. Wow. Wow. That's wow. great. In terms yeah. of cleanliness. Yeah. Because when I was reading about it, uh, about the safety of water in Cuenca, it said don't drink it. But I think it depends where you are in Cuenca. Well, here's the, here's the secret to that conundrum. Mm. The water can be clean when it arrives at your building. But if the right. pipes in the building are 100 years right. old, yes, yes. True, true. it's what happens between the street and your t- your tap. That yes. Right, right. Yes. Absolutely. All right. 
I don't know. How, how far is the nearest air, airport? $3 taxi ride. <laughs> no. Uh, what is that, uh, like 30 minutes? Yeah, at mo- at the most. And, oh, and can okay. you go to the States direct? No, you have to go to Quito or Guayaquil. There is talk of extending the runway and and making this direct flights to the States and Europe and stuff. But um, with all the financial challenges, so much of uh, Ecuador's income is based on oil production. And when oil prices went to hell, uh, the economy went to hell. And so you don't think much about future development when that happens. And with the pandemic, uh, the flights between here and Guayaquil or Quito pretty much stopped and uh, they're, they're coming back slowly. When I go to Seattle, quite a journey. Best case between layovers, I, you know, I might fly from here to Quito to Atlanta to Seattle or maybe Quito to Dallas to Seattle. Hmm. Between the layovers and the connections and all that stuff, it's a 16-hour trip. Oh, wow. Man, it's like going to Asia. Now, <laughs> an awful lot of here go back, go to Texas and Miami. So they have a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, they probably can get there in seven hours. I know there's this crime in every city, obviously, but how would you describe the crime? Uh, I think Cuenca was voted like the third safest city in all of South America. Wow. We have very minor gang activity. There is a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they they don't seem to impact the city at large. They kind of hang out in their own areas and fight over their own turf. There is more crime because of the refugees that have come in from Venezuela and other countries that have had bigger problems. And uh, they beg on the streets and they they get desperate. And so they'll rob somebody. Once in a while, somebody gets hurt in the process. It's not that common, but it happens. I think it's true anywhere in the world. You got to have a sixth sense, like a sailor on yes. liberty. <laughs> you got, uh, and I can relate to that. <laughs> you just got to, you got to develop an instinct where that's a stupid place to go. Yeah. Right. Right. When you're alone and it's at night and it's dark mm-hmm. and there's nobody around. I mean, there's, you just yeah. have a sense. Don't do stupid stuff. And if you do right. that, it eliminates almost all of it. I think most expats feel safe here if they're smart about it. This, this is a great sum up statement. I'll ask expat, can you think of anywhere else in the world that for you that would be better to live than Cuenca? And the answer I get is no. Oh, wow. Nice. That nice. sums it up. Yes. Okay, great. Well, That's all I know. Terry, <laughs> this has been the most informative yeah, episode great. we've had. Thank you. You are I'm wonderful. Glad. You are wonderful. And you made oh, me shucks. think about so many things, too. <laughs> well... Yeah. When you when you've been a communicator your whole career and you've written a book about the topic, you know it. Oh, I can imagine. Yes, yes. You got lots That's to draw on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Any um, any last words of wisdom or you've given us so many. Uh, yes, it's. Um, I and I'm surprised we I didn't get to it. Um, the degree to which a person will be happy and wherever they go, has more to do with the mental baggage they carry with them than it will the place they wind up at. Now, obviously, I think of it, uh, the metaphor to me is is the software is all the stuff in your head, and the hardware is where you wind up. Mm-hmm. And the hardware is what it is, right? And it has pluses and minuses. Quinkus tends to have a lot of them, a lot of pluses. But there are people absolutely miserable here, uh, 50 to 60% 
of the people stay more than three years. The rest either move on or move back. It's either because they miss family, they have health issues, or they just can't adjust. But for the large part, whether or not you like it here and you stay here is going to be your attitude, your outlook, your values. And it's the filters that you experience life through, right? If if you're going to get disgusted because some, you saw some guy behind a tree by the road taking a whiz and you're going to move back to the America because of it, yeah. <laughs> you have bigger problems than a guy by the, the road. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we see that here. And yeah, don't move to New York if you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, or San Francisco. I mean, my goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and this goes hand in hand with that. Get rid of all sense of you're going to create a mini America around yourself. Mm. Come in with the attitude. I'm going to a new place and I want it to be different because it's going to be fascinating and to help develop me more as a person. Ah. Right. Yeah. That's great. Don't here's a sure road to unhappiness. Compare everything that happens to you in Cuenca to how, it, how things work in the States and compare them all all day long, and you will be miserable in hate. <laughs> yeah, excellent. excellent. If you accept it for what it is, yeah. and are just open to, to you accommodating them instead of them you, you will have a fabulous time. Yes, perfect. Perfect ending. Great. Perfect point. Thank you. Thanks thank for doing you. this. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. No, no, thank you so much. It should be about two weeks before your episode, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to receiving the Mercedes, which is your little spit for, <laughs> for doing things like that. Hey, the, remember the, the parting gift. The parting is, it a re, is it a recent model? Or <laughs> Listen, I worked for Gray Advertising. Oh, uh, yeah for for a couple of years. Um, so uh, I know a bit about advertising and claims. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> about puffery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Thank All right. you. Be well. See, talk to you yeah. soon. Hope okay. Her. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well.